you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our kind of foundational text that we are going to be in for the series. Uh, we started there last week. We're continuing on there this week in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Um, it's going to be on the screen as well if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Um, and I want us to, to really engage with this text on a weekly basis. Um, I would encourage you, if you can, memorize Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Um, we're going to cover it each week and at least read it through. I'd like it at least read through each week. Um, but this is one of those texts that uh, are very much um, proving to be profitable, these, these scriptures, I think, for our daily thinking in our minds and on a daily basis. And so um, you can follow along here. Paul's writing, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Um, again, uh, just a fantastic text as a reminder and as a challenge for us about the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves um, facing on a daily basis as followers of Christ. Uh, last week, we really placed an emphasis on this acknowledgement that we are at war, right? We, we placed this acknowledgement on the fact that if we're honest and we look at what the Word of God teaches and says about spiritual warfare, we have to come to the conclusion that, yes, spiritual warfare is real. Uh, yes, the devil and his demons are real. Yes, they are relentless as our enemies in their pursuit of destruction towards us as our enemies. Uh, we acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that. And we have to also then acknowledge that God has a plan for dealing with uh, our enemy and the spiritual warfare we find ourselves facing on a daily basis. And so what I wanted to do today is transition, and the title for today's message is The Need to Engage. I wanted to transition from uh, a standing point of I acknowledge their spiritual warfare to actually engagement with that spiritual warfare. And they're two entirely different things. Uh, last week I gave the illustration of if you're going to shovel snow and it's freezing outside, you put on gloves and put on boots and you're going to put on snow gear and, and a jacket and a hat and you're going to put all those things on and take a shovel and go like tackle that snow, right? Uh, or you could just choose to do without any of that, go outside, no shovel in hand, no clothes on and just freeze, right? And nothing good is going to be accomplished in that. Um, we acknowledge that there is a war, there's a battle going on, but now we have to move from simple acknowledgement to actually engagement. It is not enough, it's the first point, it's not enough to simply acknowledge that spiritual warfare exists. 
I think that's something so, so important that we have to get tonight. It is not enough to simply acknowledge that it exists. That's not sufficient. Uh, that's a great starting point that we can come to a conclusion together as men that want to honor and follow Christ that we are at war. Fantastic that we can come to that acknowledgement and come to that conclusion, but we can't stop there. It is not enough for simple acknowledgement. Uh, again, to, to cite what's going on within our culture right now uh, as far as the news, it's bombarding us on a daily basis, day and night, is the war in Ukraine. It's, it's all the time. No matter what news station you turn on, no matter what radio show you're listening to, if the news is on, what is on right now at the forefront of everybody's television sets and news stations and everything else right now is the war in Ukraine and inflation and gas prices. But the war in Ukraine is right front and center, right? And, and every day that they are interviewing people who are on the ground there, uh, you'll see people that are interviewed. There's reporters that are going to be interviewed that report from all different locations. And there's times they'll be reporting during a hurricane and they got, you know, like a wetsuit on. Like, and they got like, you know, the hood over and there's rain everywhere and they're prepared for that. Or they're going to be reporting on a special event uh, at the White House. And so they're dressed up sharp and they look nice. Everybody that's reporting, when you see them, they got helmets on. They got like bulletproof vests on. Um, they got gear on. Why? Because they're in a war zone. And so they're responding accordingly, right? And that's what I think is something that sometimes we can miss. It's one thing to acknowledge it's happening. It's another thing to be engaged in it. And it's not enough for us to have simple acknowledgement of it. Um, some of you maybe know that gas prices are high right now. I don't know if you know that, okay? If you don't know that, I mean, then I don't know what kind of vehicle you have. If you haven't had to fill up with gas or you don't go anywhere. But if you know that gas prices are up, uh, you're probably like a lot of people when they go to the gas station, maybe you're not necessarily able to fill up right away, but you're going to put like 20 bucks in or 30 bucks in or whatever and see how far that gets you. But can you imagine driving in your car and your light comes on that says you're on empty and it's lit up? Now, I know there's a lot of guys that are like, I got time, right? That light comes on. You know your vehicle, and you're like, I can make it three times there and back and still be okay with my light on. You know your limitations of your car. But if you see that, that gas light come on, what does that mean when that E light lights up? What does that mean? You're empty, right? You're empty. You need gas. Now, you can be driving in your car, see that empty light come on. It's lit up there, and you'd be like, yeah, I don't accept that, and I'm not going to get gas. Okay? You can put some duct tape over that E so you don't have to see it lit up. That doesn't make it get filled up. It doesn't do away with it, right? So whether you want to respond or not, and whether you've acknowledged it or not, simple acknowledgement does nothing for you when your car runs out of gas. You need to respond. You need to act. You need to be engaged, right? And that's what the case is with spiritual warfare. It's one thing to acknowledge. It's another thing to engage. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Again, look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's calling on the believer to find strength, to find strength and to be strong in the Lord, right? Not in themselves. So again, that takes engagement. That takes uh, engagement. That takes effort. That takes focus. That takes a resolve. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, dot, dot, dot. Again, I covered this last week, that word wrestle. It holds with it this connotation of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
I would dare say it's, it's virtually impossible to truly acknowledge that there is a war and battle going on and to not in any way, shape, or form be engaged in it. You and I are engaged in it in some fashion. We're either engaged in it by lying down and letting the enemy have his way in that war, or we're engaged in it in the strength and power that God gives to us fighting that battle on a daily basis. But it's not enough to simply acknowledge. We have to be engaged. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We must go further than simple acknowledgement. We must go further than that. So here's, here's some things I want us to think about. Um, some of us do not want to acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on on a daily basis within our homes, in our current culture that we find ourselves living in, within our nation, within the church, within our own personal walks with Christ and lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, with our children, we sometimes would rather not acknowledge and certainly would rather not engage in the spiritual warfare that is going on whether we like it or acknowledge it or not within those areas of our lives. If I were to go around to every single table today and say, hey, listen, I want you to tell me, how have you seen in the past 30 days a spiritual battle take place within your family or within the relationships in your family. I guarantee everybody here could share an area that they see that there's spiritual warfare going on. If I went around to every single person and said, hey, listen, man, here's what I want you to be honest with me. I, I want you to tell me what's the biggest area, one of those questions that you see spiritual attack or spiritual warfare happening in your own personal life. Probably every single guy here could say, yeah, here's the area. Here's the area that I've seen attack in. We, we acknowledge this. We know this. But what are we doing about it? Are we content to just kind of stand back and be like, yeah, it's there, but I, I don't really care. And my guess, my hunch would be, if again, I had a mic and I went table by table to every single person here, hey, do you care about the spiritual warfare that's happening in your life? I guarantee no one's going up to the mic and being like, nope, I could care less about it. Even if that's what we show in our actions. We would never admit that. And yet in our actions, we can't hide that, can we? Because there's spiritual attack that's happening and we're responding either in complacency, in laziness, in apathy, or we're engaged. We're engaged in this battle that Paul speaks about here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's not enough to simply acknowledge that spiritual warfare exists. There needs to be engagement in it. Second point here, acknowledgement should lead to engagement and engagement should bring action. Acknowledgement should lead to engagement and engagement should bring action. I want you to look at this text and you can follow along when I hit these verses. Listen to all of these action words that Paul lays out here, beginning in verse 11, um, you know, Verse 10, right away we already covered it, where he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's calling on them to be some, be strong. But listen to these actions that Paul mentions. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, verse 13, take up. Verse 14, stand 
having fastened, having put on. Verse 15, having put on. Verse 16, take up that you can extinguish. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Verse 18, pray at all times, keep alert, make supplications. Filtered all throughout these verses, laced throughout all these verses, are calls to action on the believer in Christ in the context of the spiritual warfare that like it or not, acknowledge it or not, or want to be engaged in or not, is happening. You see that? Look at all those action words. I mean, it's incredible. In that amount of verses, in that short amount of verses, put on, take up, stand, fasten, put on, put on, take up, extinguish, take, pray, keep alert, make supplications, all of these action statements and calls to action in the context of, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In the context of, we wrestle against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All of this in the context of, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Guys, listen, it's, it's not a light matter that Paul the Apostle is calling on the believer to need, to necessitate in their lives to be strong in the Lord. Because here's what that tells me. If I am trying to walk day by day in my own strength, I will fail. If I am trying to engage on a daily basis in the spiritual battles that are taking place through strictly physical means, I will fail. You will fail. You may simply be like, no, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. I guarantee it. Because the call that he starts this section of verses in this context is be strong, not in yourself, not in your abilities, not in your relationships, not in your talents, not in your wealth, not in your understanding. Be strong in the Lord and in the power or strength of his might. That is what we need as we engage in spiritual warfare. That's what we need. Now some of you may be here and be like, yeah, I've never really felt that I've needed that. My assumption would be uh, you are just an easy victim in the spiritual battle that's going on if you haven't felt you've needed the power of God. Because if you're, you're of no concern. You're of no concern. Are you engaged? Are we engaged? Acknowledgement should lead to engagement. Engagement should bring a course of action. Let me illustrate this for you. If I came to you tonight before you left, I pulled you aside. If I came up to you, Jeff, if I came up to you and I said, hey, Jeff, come over here for a second. Come on up here. Come here. Act as though none of these people are here, okay? You guys act like you're not here, but I want you to listen, okay? Men's study's over. Everybody exits the building. I tell Jeff, hey, stick around after everybody leaves because I got to tell you something pretty important. So everybody's gone. I say, hey, Jeff, listen, um, there's going to be a home invasion tonight at your house. You and your wife are going to be home probably about 2 a.m., there's going to be an invasion. People are going to come into your home um, with very bad intentions at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you respond to it, and you're like, yeah, I don't believe that. And I'm like, well, look at And I show you a video of people sharing their plan to invade your home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay? And you see it, and you acknowledge it. And you walk away believing, holy moly, you can go sit down. You walk away thinking, man, these people are planning to invade my house tonight at 2 a.m. My wife and I are going to be home, and they're, they're going to invade my house. They have bad intentions. I saw the vi- I heard them on video. They're coming at 2 o'clock. Do you know how foolish it would be if Jeff went home, went to bed, and did nothing different, having seen and acknowledged that there's going to be a home invasion at 2 o'clock at his house? 
How many of you would think that would be foolish? How many of you think that would be uncaring? How many of you think that would be downright, like, Jeff's a fool if he does that? Right? If you get word that someone's going to attempt to hurt your family tonight at 2 a.m., and you've seen proof that that's going to happen, and you've acknowledged that that is going to happen, I would expect every single one of us as men tonight would have our routine be a little bit different tonight when we go home. I would expect every one of us would take action with the reality of what we just acknowledge is going to take place. Our night would look different than what it typically would. If your typical routine after men's study, Jeff, is to go home, put a pair of shorts on, have your glass of milk and cookie, go to bed for the night, kiss your wife goodnight and go to bed, my guarantee is that's not going to be your routine tonight. That's not going to be close to your routine tonight. Now, depending on the type of guy you are, you may call the police so that they're aware. You may be like, yeah, I don't need the police. And you may, you, you may, you may just be waiting, okay? I don't, know how, I don't know what kind of guy you are. But, but something's going to be different for you tonight than every other night. Because you believe what I've shown you is going to take place. Now, the obvious connection here is if we say we truly believe that tomorrow morning when we get out of our beds and go into a day, that there is going to be spiritual warfare taking place. That the enemy is going to seek to devour us. That he's going to seek to destroy us. If we believe tomorrow that our relentless enemy is going to seek to destroy my wife and my kids and me. If I believe that the devil wants to have a hold on my family and relationships, and friendships, in the church, and our culture, in the schools, go on and on and on. If I truly believe that and acknowledge that, then my routine is going to look different than those that don't acknowledge that. And if it doesn't, then I'd be a fool. And I don't want this to sound too harsh, but men, we act too much like fools when it comes to our laziness and the attitude of laziness when it comes to spiritual warfare. If you and I think that we'll be okay tomorrow without prayer, we're a fool. If we think we're okay tomorrow without having to fill our heart and mind with the word of God, then we're playing the part of a fool. If you think you're okay without the power of God, then you're a fool. Because you and I cannot engage with an enemy like the enemy that we have in our own strength, in our own abilities, in our own way. We'd be fools. It's one thing to acknowledge that spiritual warfare exists. It's an entirely different thing to actually engage and take action because we know it exists. And what does God want from us? God wants us to take action. God wants us to take action. God wants us to be fully engaged in the battle that is at our doorstep every single day. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's there. And many of us have experienced that and know the destructiveness of that as we've seen its effect on people we love and families and churches and relationships and our personal lives. But what are we willing to do about it? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, people know that verse, verse 1 Peter 5, 8. 
Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, wants to devour you. But let me put some context to that. Listen to what Peter says, starting with verse 1 of 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Jesus talked about himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And he spoke about how the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd protects the sheep because there are wolves that are wanting to enter into the flock to devour the sheep. Why would he say these things? Why would he call these overseers, these pastors, these elders, shepherds that are shepherding the flock? Because there are dangerous wolves that are trying to attack. There's destructive heretical teachings that are trying to lead people astray. We were talking about this during the questions uh, at our table about some of the heretical teachings that are out there today and how many people are being led astray and deceived by some of the teaching that is out there today. Guys, that's, that's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual battles that are happening. How are we engaging in that in our homes, in our, in our families, in our relationships? He goes on to say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know what Paul's laying out, or Peter's laying out here for the believer? Here's what he's laying. You're going to be persecuted, and you're going to be persecuted. But so are they. We're all going to be persecuted if we're followers of Jesus. He says, the devil wants to devour you, but guess what? He also wants to devour your brothers. You're going to be experiencing trials and suffering, but guess what? So are your brothers. You see what he's doing here? He's showing that every single believer in Christ must be sober, vigilant, watchful, because we have a common enemy, and he does not discriminate. He wants to devour and destroy anyone who follows Christ, anybody who's trying to make much of the name of Christ. That's the enemy that we have. And so Paul lays it out in Ephesians chapter 6. Peter lays it out in 1 Peter chapter 5. Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian believers. We are at war. We are in a battle. We are in a daily battle for our heart, for our mind, to influence our actions and our thinking. And we are either acknowledging and engaging and taking action, or we are just laying down and letting the enemy destroy us. What's true of your life? What's true of your life tonight? Are you in the camp or category of someone who would say, yeah, I acknowledge spiritual warfare happens. It really stinks. Not much I can do. Or are you in that camp that would say spiritual warfare exists. The devil wants to destroy. He wants to devour me, my family, my household, my relationships, the people that I care about, the the, the people that I associate. He wants to destroy it all. But God has given me the strength the ability, the wisdom, the, the, the boldness to engage in that battle and to live for his glory. That's where my hope is. That as a result of this study, when we leave this study at the end of that 10 weeks, that we would go from here not only acknowledging that the warfare exists, not only acknowledging that we have an enemy, but that we are fully engaged and battling with action in that spiritual warfare that's taking place in our lives. 
That's what God has called us to. And in particular as men, if you are a husband, if you are a father, you and I have responsibility in that spiritual battle that is taking place daily, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our wife and our children. That's what God has called you to as a husband, as a father. You have responsibility in that. I have responsibility in that. And we either ignore it because guess what, guys? It is far easier to ignore it than to engage in it. It is so much easier to just wake up in the morning and be like, man, that good old devil, devil's going to attack again today. That really stinks, but nothing I can do. That is so easy. It's so easy. But sometimes it's a little bit harder, isn't it? To know that the devil wants to devour and that it's going to take great care and effort and dependence on God day in and day out to live rightly for him. But that's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. It's worth it. I'd go so far as to say if you're a husband, if you're a father and you are not daily praying for your wife and kids, you're not fully engaged in the spiritual warfare that's taking place in your homes. Guys, it shouldn't be hard for us on a daily basis to pray and ask God to protect, watch over, and care for our wife and our children. If you're not doing that every day, start doing that. There's no excuse for that. We're either engaged in this or we're not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you would acknowledge that there's spiritual warfare going on on a daily basis and yet you are not on a daily basis taking any course of action to deal with that spiritual warfare that you know you're facing, then you're purposely choosing to fail that day. And we've probably done that enough, I think, right? We've probably done that enough to last our lifetime. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's even harder if you think you can do it on your own because you can't. But acknowledgement should lead to engagement, and engagement should lead to action. Action in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our culture, in our nation, in our world. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 20, it's filled with words of action. Put on, put on, put on. Take up, take up, take up. Guard, engage. It's, it's there over and over and over again. Number three. As we engage, we must know our enemy and know our own weaknesses. As we engage, we must know our enemy and know our weaknesses. This is just good strategy in any realm, isn't it? If you're playing a sport, you get a scouting report on the team that you're going to play. You know what their strengths are. You know what their weaknesses are. Um, we have a men's league here that plays on, on Monday nights. My role in the men's league typically is if someone needs about a minute break, I'm good for about a minute to get in there and up and down the court a few times. So, like when that happens. Okay, I know my role. It's not a big one. But when we're playing a team and we get together before the game starts and we've played the team before, we go through who their scorer is. We go through who can shoot, who's a shooter, who's not a shooter. How do we want to attack this team? We understand that. Strategy, right? Strategy. And any kind of competition, any kind of battle. Strategy. We want to know what's going on. The same is true in the spiritual warfare that we face. We need to know our enemy. We need to know who it is that we're up against. Now, there's a danger because we don't want to give the devil too much credit. He's a defeated enemy. He's a defeated enemy. 
Yes, the devil wants to completely destroy us, but we have an advocate, don't we, with the Father? Jesus Christ who prays for us. Remember last week we talked about Satan desiring to completely destroy Peter, and Jesus said, Satan wants to destroy you, Peter. Well, what did Jesus also say to him? But I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. What an incredible encouragement from the Lord. We have a defeated enemy, so we don't want to give him too much credit, but at the same time, we don't want to be naive or have our head in the sand about who our enemy is and what he's capable of. We need to know the strategy of our enemy. That's why Paul would call again in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you'd be able to stand. It wasn't sufficient for Paul to simply say, yeah, put on a couple pieces of armor. No, he said, put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God that you'd be able to stand. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith. In every circumstance. Why? So you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. That's the picture that Paul is laying out about the attack of the enemy. In all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith that you're able to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. In all circumstances. Some people say, well, people see the devil in everything that happens. I'm not encouraging you with every single thing that happens. The devil did that. The devil did that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is Paul said, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith because it is always, always likely that our enemy is seeking to shoot arrows at us, spiritually speaking, if you will, and to destroy us. That's a relentless attack. Relentless attack. And so we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our guard with that. But it's important to understand and know our enemy. So I want to look at three kind of case examples of our enemy in action. Okay? Um, And we won't take a great deal of time. I know it's already 8 o'clock. We're not going to go far over. Don't worry. We're going to wrap up here shortly. But I want to look at these three kind of three um, case studies of the devil at work, of the enemy at work. First one is found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, some of you might be familiar with that, some of you might not know what Genesis 3 is. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. It's the fall of man. It's the very first account in Scripture with mankind where man would sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the text begins in chapter 3, verse 1, by talking about the serpent. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. By the way, just to clarify this, as far as doctrine regarding Satan and demons, demonology, Satanology, Satan and his demons, they're created beings. They are not gods. They are not pre-existent. They're not eternal, everlasting to everlasting. They are not as God. They're created beings. God created them. He's their creator. So therefore, he has complete authority and power over them. Okay? There's a lot of confusion. Sometimes people think that Satan and God, like, man, it's a formidable way. Satan is no match for God. Okay, he's he's no match. He's no match for the Lord. And yet sometimes that can be confusing. But the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Look at his tactic here. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. But look at his tactic. What do you notice about Satan's approach with Eve here about what God has said? What does he do? There's all kinds of talking. Someone stand up and talk loud. What do we see about what Satan did here? Yeah. 
Okay, so he brings into doubt in Eve's mind what has God really said. But what else do you see about what he says about what God said? Yeah, Mike. Okay, he's calling God a liar because he's like, you're not, God said you're going to, you're not going to die. Like, just process this for a minute. Right at the beginning of creation, here's Adam and Eve in a perfect garden and they're in fellowship with God and, and things are relatively new for them. And they know God as creator God, as, as the perfect God. And Satan already is like, yeah, you can't believe him. Like, think of that. But there's something else that I noticed about what Satan does is in his tactic here, what he does in his tactic. God's words to Eve and what Eve would recite back to Satan is, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but we're not able to eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Satan's starting point was what was forbidden. That was his starting point. He didn't begin with, did God really say you could eat of all the trees of the garden except for one? What did he do? He started off by saying, did God really say you couldn't eat of all the trees? You see that tactic? The one thing they were not permitted to eat. That was what he led with. That was what he started with. And that's all it took. Because that tree looked good. That tree was appealing. And what a deceiver to put the focus on the one thing that God told them they could not do, completely removing a focus on all that God said they could do or they could have. Here's what I find very interesting. With my kids, even from a very young age, if I put three toys in front of them and I specifically say, you can't play with that one, but you can play with these other ones, guess which one they want to play with? The one they're not allowed to play with. If at your tables today I had three pieces of paper turned over and one of them had an X on it, I said, guys, whatever you do, do not turn the paper over that has the X on it. You can look at the other ones, but don't anybody turn the one that has the X on it. I guarantee everybody at the table is going to be like, I'm looking at it. I don't care. Like you're, you want to see what you're told you're not allowed. That has followed man to this day. The one thing that they couldn't do is what the devil highlights. He is good with his tactics. And he attributes God to be a liar. He brings into question what God really said. And if you don't know the story, Eve would take and eat of that fruit that she was not supposed to, and so would Adam. And because of that, sin entered into the world, and death passed to all men, because all have sinned. The very first tactic we see with Satan trying to deceive. Another case study is in Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, we read about Satan, and he comes to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered, from going to and from on the earth, walking up and down on it. Now, again, I, I don't want to just give too much credit to the devil or put him in too much of a position of, like, freaking you out or making you think anything about him. But this is pretty interesting that the devil describes his kind of day as going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. He's busy. He's busy. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan is rightly called the accuser of the brethren. He wants to bring accusation after accusation. He wants to destroy us. And God is going to say to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if you know the story of Job, there would be an, uh, just affliction in Job's life like no one has experienced. His children would be, would be taken from him. His possessions would be taken from him. His friends would abandon him. His wife would call on him to curse God and die. His health would be taken from him. Job would be in a position of just complete despair and anguish and ruin. Satan's tactic here wasn't so subtle. It was, let me completely destroy this guy, God, and he will curse you to your face. In the midst of all this, God was fully in control. And if you know the story of Job, Job would not dishonor God with his lips, even in the midst of this. And ultimately, God would restore back to Job possessions and wealth and children and, and, and lands. I mean, he, he would restore him to a greater extent than he had even before the devil's attacks. Two entirely different attacks, though. Genesis chapter 3, subtle, deceptive, seeking to cause God or put God, paint God in a position of being a liar, highlighting what you can't have rather than what God says you can have. Have you ever seen that tactic in your life? The forbidden fruit, as some people say. The one thing God says you can't have that you just can't get out of your mind that you need to have. Have you ever seen the attack of the enemy in your life where it seems like there is such great destruction? And what sets in is fear, doubt, worry. There's a third tactic that I think we see, and that's in Luke chapter 4, and that's in the temptation of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. 40 days. Listen, again, the persistence, ruthlessness, commitment of the enemy. 40 days. And the devil was taking a lot of losses in that 40 days because he was completely unsuccessful in what he was trying to accomplish. But he didn't give up. 40 days tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. Again, talk about the strength of the Lord Jesus, right? In, in his being fully human and yet fully God. Ate nothing for 40 days. And it says, and when they were ended after 40 days, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become red. Now, here's what I find interesting. He was led up in the wilderness for 40 days, and it says, being tempted by the devil. What I see here is that for those 40 days, that the devil was trying and tempting Christ. And at the end of 40 days, when the Bible says he hadn't eaten for 40 days and he was hungry, what is the first thing after it says that the, that the devil does? If you're the son of God, command this stone to be made bread. He attacks what would be the glaring weakness, if you will, at that very moment in the Lord Jesus Christ's life, 
being fully God yet fully man is he was hungry because he hadn't had anything to eat in 40 days. Make this stone bread. An attack at his point of weakness. If we can call it a weakness. He was hungry. He had no food for 40 days. Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Glory, power, wealth, riches, honor, a way out from the suffering that he ultimately knew he would need to endure. Jesus says it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. Took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Prove that you're the son of God. If you're really the son of God, throw yourself down off this mountain. God will protect you. God will guide you. And Jesus says, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil tempts Jesus with what could be a physical area of weakness, hunger, food. Something that he would physically need, or at least we would think he needs. And Jesus puts the emphasis on not living by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. Satan tempts Jesus with wealth, riches, fame in this world, deliverance from difficulty that he knew he would be facing. And Jesus says, you shall worship and serve the Lord your God only, not self, not Satan. Cast yourself down. Because God will protect you. If you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, throw yourself down off this mountain. To do so would be to ignore the clear teaching of Scripture. Don't tempt the Lord your God or put him to the test. The tactics that Satan uses are brilliant in getting people to fall. And he's extremely successful. But they're nothing new. They're nothing new. And there's no temptation, the Bible says, that's taken to us, but such as common to man, and God is faithful, and he will always make or give a way of escape. That's the promise of God. So as good as Satan is at what he does, he's not better than our God. As powerful as Satan is, he's not more powerful than our God. As much of a draw as temptation is, God has given us the ability and strength through him to resist. There's always a way of escape. We need to know our enemy. We need to know his tactics. We need to know his strategy. We need to be engaged in spiritual warfare so much so that we know him and his tactics and his strategy so that we might resist him. So that we might resist the devil and the word of God says and he will flee from us. But we not only have to know our enemy, but we have to know our own weaknesses and be honest about our own vulnerabilities. We have to be honest about our own struggles. We have to know what we are good in and what we are not. We have to know what we don't struggle with, but also what we do struggle with. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-12 through 12 says, Do you not know wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And he lives this list. 
Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Listen, very clear cut in the word of God, we are not who we once were. The old is gone, the new has come. But if we are honest as men in this room, every single one of us, if we're honest, would have to acknowledge the fact that this side of eternity, the temptation to sin is still going to be present in our lives. And I don't know what area in particular is your biggest area of struggle, but you and I need to be honest about what that area is. Because, men, if your biggest area of struggle is in the area of your pride, Guess what is going to be the area that if I were your enemy, I would be focusing on getting you to fall in? Your pride. If the biggest area of struggle for you is in your lust towards women, guess what is the area that I am going to put all of my effort in in getting you to fall? It's in the area of your lust. If it's in the area of envy, greed, deception and lies, love of money, materialism, whatever that area might be that is your area of weakness, if I'm your enemy and I want you to fall, guess what I'm going to be throwing in your face as much as I possibly can? Whatever the area is that you struggle in. The devil is not stupid when it comes to his deception. He's smart, crafty, He presents himself as an angel of light. And so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you have a particular area of temptation or sin that you struggle with that it seems like everywhere you look, that temptation is right in front of your face. Don't be surprised because you're engaged in a spiritual battle and your enemy knows your weakness. Don't be surprised that just when you think you have great victory, Just when you think you've done something for the Lord that you are rejoicing in. Don't be surprised because if I'm your enemy, that's when I'm attacking. It's when your guard's down. It's when everything's great, I'm attacking. But I'm also going to kick you when you're down too. So don't be surprised. Do you see how valuable it is not only to know our enemy but to know our own weaknesses? Because if we can be honest as men about our areas of weakness... If we can be honest about the area of sin that we struggle with, with other men, we can be honest. If we can have accountability and prayer and bear burdens and confess to one another, if we can be honest about those areas, if we can be honest, then we will engage in the spiritual battle that we acknowledge is going on all around us. It's so valuable. It's so important. Do you have anger issues? Avoid those things that set you off. That might mean if you have anger issues, you can't do anything competitively because you can't handle it. If you have a problem with drunkenness, that might mean that you can't even go into a restaurant where there's a bar because the temptation is going to be too great. If you have a pornography problem, it might mean that there's never a time that you can be on a computer by yourself with no one else home because you can't take that temptation. If you have a desire or lust towards a coworker, that might mean you need to switch jobs if you can't handle it when you're there. If you struggle with greed, 
maybe you need to be proactively generous. If you struggle with general lust, maybe you need to cancel certain shows or movies or locations that you typically would frequent or that you would watch. If you struggle with gluttony, maybe we need to keep less food in our house that would cater to that. If we struggle with pride, maybe we need to proactively seek to build others up rather than tear people down or build ourselves up. And we could go on and on and on and on, but we need to be willing to engage and be honest about the areas of struggle in our own lives as we face this spiritual battle before us. And I think men in particular are so guilty. One, of acknowledging that spiritual warfare takes place, but being unwilling to engage in it in a proactive way. And two, acknowledging that spiritual warfare exists, but being all too quick to be silent about the areas of struggle in our own lives. We need to be engaged in those areas. That's why the word of God says that we're to bear one another's burdens, we're to confess our faults to one another, we're to pray for one another. We need that as men. And so as we engage in this spiritual battle, as we engage in spiritual warfare, it's not enough to simply acknowledge it exists. We have to be engaged. If we are engaged, it will lead to action. And in that action, if we truly want to honor the Lord and live victoriously for him in that battle, we need to know our enemy and know our own weaknesses and give those things to the Lord and seek to move past and beyond them. Because otherwise we will find ourselves day in and day out, giving in again and again, losing that battle because we refuse to do what's necessary to engage. Now, I was going to do this tonight, but I didn't want to create an avenue for deception. (laughs) I was going to ask everybody at your table to take a minute and share with people at your table what's your greatest area of struggle. But I thought if I do that tonight... I don't know, week two, second week, how many of us truly would be honest in sharing with those at our table what that area is. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do instead today. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you right now where you're at to between you and the Lord. To you and the Lord, acknowledge before the Lord tonight what you know to be the biggest area of struggle and temptation in your walk with him. Take a moment to acknowledge that before God, to confess that to the Lord and to specifically pray and ask God for deliverance from that area of temptation as you engage in the spiritual battle that you're facing on a daily basis. Just take a minute right now between you and the Lord to do that. To confess what that area of sin or temptation that maybe is prevalent even right now in your life, confessing that to the Lord, acknowledging that to the Lord, Asking the Lord for forgiveness for that, but also asking for strength and deliverance from that as you engage in the spiritual battle that we face on a daily basis. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed for just a minute. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is that you would tell someone. If there's a guy that that you can confide in, maybe you have an accountability partner, maybe you have a brother in Christ that you've been able to share with, talk with, maybe there's someone that you trust as a brother in Christ that you would take the time, whether tonight, tomorrow, this week, to bear that to someone to say, hey, listen, 
As I engage in spiritual warfare and take action in spiritual warfare, there's clearly an area of my life that I struggle in and I need accountability. I need prayer. I need commitment. I need help in, and this is that area. I'm going to ask you to get someone in your mind that you're going to commit right now before the Lord that you'll talk to about that that you'll seek to not only bear a burden, but allow someone to bear that burden on your behalf, that you'll not only seek to pray for someone about what that is, but that you'll seek prayer about that for yourself and that you will take action in whatever area it is of struggle and the spiritual warfare that we will face on a daily basis. Last thing, if you're here and you would say in particular right now, right now, this week, today, tonight, there's a particular area in your life that you would say, man, right now God has, has really convicted and challenged me because there's an area of my life that right now I know I need to confess and give to the Lord because in the spiritual battle, it's devouring me. And I want to give that to the Lord tonight. If that's you and you want me to pray for you tonight as we wrap up, would you slip up your hand real quick? I want to pray for you. If there's something specific, yeah, I see your hands. You can put them down. Anybody else? Okay, yeah, put them down. Somebody else? I'm going to pray for you right now um, that God would give victory and, and commitment over that tonight. Lord, I pray for each person that raised their hands tonight, these, these guys that whatever the area is that they're confessing before you tonight that they know is, is really gripping them and, and having hold in their lives, that's dishonoring to you. I pray, Father, that you would hear their cry and, and petition not only for forgiveness but for restoration and uh, God resistance to that area of sin. I pray that you would give victory. I pray that there'd be an engagement in their lives, even tomorrow morning as they step foot out of bed, that they would give that area to you as they face the day, that they would be committed to honoring you, to putting on the full armor of God, to be engaged in the battle before them, that you would give us victory, God. I pray that every one of us as men, that as we go from here even, we would take responsibility for uh, our relationships with our wife, with our children, that we would lead and be responsible to care for them spiritually, and that, Lord, we would be fully engaged, knowing that there's a battle that is raging, and we are not content to sit idly by and watch the enemy have his way. But that instead, Lord, we would, in the strength that you give, fully engage in that battle, seeking to be victorious through Christ and to give him the glory in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.